Our first reading this Easter morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where the body was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Our second reading is from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, starting at verse 9. As I watched, thrones were set in place, and an ancient one took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood attending them. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. As I watched then, because of the noise of the arrogant words that the horn was speaking, and I watched, and the beast was put to death, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. Thanks be to God. There are some days when it can seem as if death has had the last word. 
Just this week, yet another dark day dawned as news broke at breakfast of terrorist attacks in Brussels, leaving many dead, many more injured, and a city in mourning and fear for the future. We live in a world where death and terror and oppression seem constantly to get the last word on life. And it is truly, deeply depressing. After all, none of us are getting out of this alive. And for much of our time here, we are party to the desires of others to make life far less than it could or should be. People kill people, people terrorise people, people bully people, and it has always been so. But what are we to do? How are we to respond to the darkness of our world? Denial and business as usual can only get us so far, and yet reality is too hard to face for any sustained period of time. So what is the path through the valley of death? How are we to negotiate these treacherous waters of chaos? Well, it seems to me that for much of the time, both as individuals and as a society, we just stare ever deeper and harder into the murky depths of the tomb. Our media holds the dark cavern of death before our eyes and invites us to look long upon the monsters that inhabit the labyrinthine passages of our darkest fears and nightmarish dreamings. The rolling news agenda of analysis and voyeurism keeps the darkness alive in our imaginations and the light of life dims to the point of being extinguished. It's the Easter story, revisited in each of our lives, day by day and week by week. We stare death in the face on Friday, and then we sit in horror and shock on Saturday, and then on Sunday we set out to revisit the grave of all our hopes and dreams. Like a child who cannot leave alone the scab on their knee, we pick away at our pain and subvert our capacity to heal, and we scar ourselves further. We keep going back to the tomb. This is why terrorism works, of course. This is why the Romans crucified their criminals. And it's why there were bombs in Brussels this week. The symbolic death of the representative few kills the life in the hearts and souls of the many. Those who have stood and gazed upon the cross cannot rid themselves of the visions of horror that haunt their nights. Those who have seen videos of beheadings in the desert and read news reports of bombings in airports and subways cannot rid themselves of the terror we keep going back to the tomb and staring again and again and again. We construct a narrative of fear, 
And then we step into that story of fear and we live it into being in our lives and in our world. We just keep going back to the tomb. But here's a thought. What if the greatest force of evil in our world is not ISIS? What if it's not fundamentalist Islam? What if it's not even homophobic evangelical Christianity? What if the greatest force of evil in our world is the capacity of human beings to deceive themselves into believing that truth is a lie and that a lie has become truth? What if the greatest force of evil in our world is how easily we exchange the truth of God for a lie, worshipping and serving the creature rather than the creator? What I mean by this is that we idolise our fears and we allow them to control our actions. And in so doing, we make ourselves subservient to our own creation. We convince ourselves that the tomb contains terrors and then we construct our lives around that lie. We live the lie of fear into being and we live out that fear in our thoughts and our actions. I'm thinking of the Baptist pastor who said to me recently that he would love to welcome gay people into his church but that he's afraid of being judged if he does so. I'm thinking of the person who seeks to control and manipulate others to their will because they are deeply afraid of being wrong. I'm thinking of the person who is afraid to speak out against injustice because they're afraid of the consequences for themselves and those they love. I'm thinking of me, and I'm thinking of each of us. As we all, in our own ways, allow the terrors of the tomb to dictate our thoughts and our actions. We keep going back to the tomb. And then in an attempt to live with ourselves and our fears and our guilt, we scapegoat those who do not fit our own construction of reality. We put all our fears onto the weak and the vulnerable, and then we put them out of the camp in a desperate attempt to sleep easier in our beds. Whether it's the scapegoating of those with minority sexuality or those of a different complexion or those of a different gender or those of a different nationality or those of a different social standing or those of a different religious belief or those of a different political opinion, we take some of the fears and lies that inhabit the sepulchres of our minds and we place these deceptions onto those who are not like us in a vain attempt to rid ourselves of that which haunts our dreams. And yet, in all of this, we miss the simple truth that was revealed to Mary, Mary and Salome that first Easter morning. The tomb is empty. The monsters are not real. The decomposing corpse of our shattered dreams and nightmarish fears is not there because the tomb is empty. The women hadn't gone to the tomb of the crucified Jesus to encounter an empty tomb. They'd gone to pour oils on a dead and broken body as one final act of love and devotion to their shattered dreams and crushed hopes. 
They knew Jesus to be dead. They'd seen him die. They knew him to be in the tomb. They'd seen him laid there. They knew that the stone was firmly across the entrance and that they wouldn't even have enough strength to roll it away to see once again the corpse that lay within. Yet still they went to the tomb in despair and fear and humility, as we, futility, as we all go in our own ways to gaze upon the tomb of our own fears. But at the tomb of Jesus, the women discovered that the tomb itself was a lie. The stone was rolled away and the body they feared to find wasn't there. The simple truth that confronted the women is the same truth that confronts us. The tomb is empty. Its power is void. Its deception is exposed. And its hold over us is broken. This is the message of Easter. But how are we to hear this message? How do we take deep within ourselves the revelation of resurrection that offers us a way through the valley of death and guides us through the waters of chaos? Mark's Gospel tells us that when the women got to the tomb, they looked again, they looked up. It was on second sight that they saw the tomb to be empty. Like the blind men earlier in Mark's Gospel, it was a miracle of seeing that opened their eyes to the reality of the new world of the empty tomb. And we, like these women, need to learn what it is to look again. We need to learn to see through the lies and deceptions of death to the truth of new life that lies beyond our mortal expectations. In our fears and our imaginations, the tomb remains filled with horrors and we are prevented from seeing reality by the stone of impediment that blocks our sight. It's only when we're enabled to look again that we can see the stone to have been rolled away and experience the reality of the empty tomb. And this is not something that we can just do for ourselves. This is no psychological or psychoanalytical trick. Like the women at the tomb of Jesus, we do not have the strength in ourselves to roll away the stone and let in the light that will reveal the cupboard within to be devoid of terror. The intervention we need in our lives is the same as that experienced by the women. There is nothing we can do to move the stone, but by grace it has already been rolled away for us. We need only have eyes to see it. We live our lives out of our narratives of fear and death. We live our lives afraid of the darkness that lies deep within ourselves. And yet, if only we could have the eyes to see it, the doorway to the darkness of our souls has already been opened, and the light is streaming in to banish the terrors of night. This is an invitation to a radically new way of being human. It's an invitation to learn to live in an entirely new way, where our thoughts and our actions are determined not by darkness but by light, not by death but by life. It's an invitation for us 
to step across a threshold and discover the true life that awaits us when we confront our fears and find them groundless. Maybe we, like the women, need to hear the divine messenger telling us not to be afraid. Maybe we need our own moment of divine encounter to open our eyes to the reality of life reasserted in the face of death. Maybe we need to meet the risen Christ for ourselves, present by his Spirit in the place of our deepest fear, speaking words of peace and new life to our troubled souls. But see what happens to the women next. Their fears are confounded, and they discover the empty tomb. They encounter the messenger who seeks to calm their troubled minds, and then they are told to leave the tomb and head back to the real world, back to Galilee, back to normality, to encounter the risen Christ in their homes and their families and their communities. We're not called to sit and stare at the empty tomb any more than we are called to linger our gaze forever on the cross. Because new life is for living. And if we allow our fears to silence our witness to the good news of the empty tomb, then we simply roll back the stone and fill the void once again with the terrors of our imaginations. Do not be afraid, says the messenger. Go to Galilee and meet the risen Christ. But Mark tells us, that the women fled the tomb, seized by fear, and said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And there, in its original form, Mark's Gospel ends. The additional ending, which we will come on to next week, is not for today. For now, the story stops where Mark intends it to stop, and the rhetorical force of his hanging ending is compelling. Those of us who read Mark's account of the empty tomb are invited to identify ourselves with the women. We're invited to see ourselves in their desire to revisit the tomb and to gaze once more on the death of hope. We're invited to share with them in their futility in the face of the immovable stone. And we're invited to look again with them and to realise that the tomb of terrors is thrown open and revealed to be empty. But we are also invited to consider what we will do next. Will we, like the women, go from here in silence, struck dumb by our encounter? Or will we go seeking the risen Christ and meeting him along the way? New life does not come easy to the world. And we do not leave our fears behind us without a struggle. But there are days when life springs unexpectedly from the barren soil of existence and hope is reawakened in the souls of those who thought faith had long gone. Death and resurrection, brokenness and healing, marginalisation and empowerment, sin and reconciliation, injustice and transformation, all of these shape the very pattern of our Christian life. And our experience of resurrection and healing and empowerment and reconciliation and transformation 
is a pure, unearned gift of God. But it is also the ultimate test of and the only hope for our faith. What difference will the empty tomb make for us tomorrow? This week? This year? Where will we face down our fears and find them to be groundless? Where will we speak words of new life to those trapped in cycles of death? What opportunities will we take to breathe new life into those we meet, knowing that Jesus has gone ahead of us to meet us there? How, I wonder, will we take Mark's story of the empty tomb and allow it to find its own completion in the narratives of our lives as we rewrite our own stories based on life rather than death? As Desmond Tutu puts it in his book, An African Prayer Book, Victory is ours. Goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hate. Light is stronger than darkness. Life is stronger than death. Victory is ours through him who loves us. Amen.